This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Take your Bible, if you would, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, here's the commitment I need from you. I'm going to preach fast. You must listen fast. If I'm a little long, it's not my fault. It's because you didn't listen fast. Oh, smile. All I do is go to church, so if I'm going to have fun, I've got to have fun at church. Amen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and I want to share with you tonight some thoughts on this topic, the clocks are ticking. Verse 1 of chapter 5, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore... Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9 is so important. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. As we begin this message tonight, let me lay down three thoughts at the beginning that are important. Number one, this is a survey message I am going to speak on a number of topics tonight that if I were to speak and expound on the whole topic, we would be here till Jesus comes. And uh, what I really mean by that is till about sometime Friday. So be glad that I don't say everything you know or that I know. So we're going to go through it as a survey. Here's number two. Let me tell you who I am. I am a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial Baptist. In other words, I believe that as the church, as believers, as the body of Christ, we are not destined to go through the tribulation. The Bible said very clearly in verse 9 that we are not appointed unto wrath. The tribulation period is the pouring out of God's wrath on this earth in judgment of the earth and in preparation of Israel to receive him as their Messiah and their Redeemer. 
we will be taken out because we are not appointed unto wrath. God is not going to allow his people to suffer wrath. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God for us in our place. Now, there are those today who are pushing a false doctrine. They are saying that the church is going to go through maybe half the tribulation. If you want to go through the half tribulation, you stay. I'm not. I'm not appointed to a third of wrath, a fourth of wrath, a half of wrath. I am appointed to no wrath, and neither are you. And so, third, I am premillennial. Here's the wonderful news, that that Daniel 70th week, that tribulation period, where God pours out his wrath in judgment on earth, preparing Israel for his return, during that time we will be in heaven. My belief is we will be attending the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then at Armageddon, at the end of that tribulation period, we, along with Jesus Christ, will return from heaven and he will redeem Israel. He will set up his throne in Jerusalem and he will rule and reign for 1,000 years on this earth. And here's amazing truth. We will reign with him. I say kiddingly, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I hope I get appointed king of Woodbridge, or at least mayor of Woodbridge. There's some things I want to take care of in the town where I lived for 37 years. We're coming back with him. Now here's the question we want to resolve tonight. When's that start? When is Jesus going to rapture out his church? When are we as believers going to go up and meet him in the air? Preacher, are you going to set a date? Nope, not allowed. Don't know it anyway. And so it is not for me to know the times or the seasons. I don't know them. But I would suggest to you that the Lord purposely puts in his word some signs and some indications and, and, and some uh, events that would allow his people to function as children of the day and not children of the night, but to be aware and to be children of the light so we could say, hey, this seems like the Lord could come. Now understand this. Sometimes I'm asked this question. Preacher, do you think we are in the last days? And I would say to you, absolutely, unqualified, yes, we are in the last days. As a matter of fact, we're taught in the scripture from the book of Hebrews and many other places that the last days started when Jesus Christ came to earth, lived on earth, died and rose again. When Jesus was incarnate, walked on this earth, the last days began. Now, I think the more accurate question is this question. Preacher, do you think we are in the last days of the last days? And again, I would say to you, absolutely, unqualified, yes. Matter of fact, I would put it this way. We are in the last days of the last days looking for the day of the Lord. I have every expectation, uh, I, I don't know when my day of death is, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, nor am I trying to be sensational, 
I have every hope and belief that I might well be raptured into heaven and not die and go to heaven. I believe that for every person in this room. We have a lot of clocks in our lives. I have clocks in my life. I have an alarm clock on my phone, have an alarm clock on my nightstand in my bed. It, I despise them, but they are necessary items, and every once in a while they go off and catch me asleep, and I have to get up. My favorite and the most vital clock in my life is the clock on my coffee maker that starts it before the alarm clock goes off so that it is ready when the alarm clock goes off. I've got a clock in my car when I pastored in Washington, D.C. It, it reminded me every moment how late I was because of traffic on I-95. I've got a clock on my, my wrist. It, it tells me... here. Let me show you what I do. You know what this means when a Baptist preacher does this? Absolutely nothing, okay? It means it hurts his wrist and he's going to take his watch off. But I watch it a little bit because I don't want to be overly long. I'm just telling you, our lives are guided by clocks. Not, not because we have to live by the clock, but because it's an indication. It makes us aware of where we are and how long we've got to get there and what's going on around us. And here's what I would suggest to you. I can't tell you the stroke of the clock Jesus is coming. It doesn't matter to me. I want to be ready no matter when it is. But I do want to suggest to you because we are children of the light, because we are children of the day, we ought not to live our lives like the children of the night do. And we ought to be aware of the times I'm sorry, of the, of the ways of the world around us so that we can function as children of the light. Therefore, I want to give to you tonight, very quickly, four clocks that I believe are clicking, ticking in our world today that say to us, not long, not long, not long. Listen to them with me. Here's number one. Our culture is a ticking clock. Our culture is a ticking clock. Turn over with me for a moment to 2 Timothy, <coughs> pardon me, chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Let me read just a few verses to you. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 1 begins, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Did you notice that? Perilous times shall come. Can I suggest to you that as I read through verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, I could spend the next week of messages preaching to you how those words absolutely describe our culture and our generation, every single one of them. I don't have the time to do that, so let me just be selective. I would say, notice in verse 2, it says that the generation that is perilous times will be lovers of their own selves. 
Now, friend, I'm going to be honest, every man loves himself, and, and I know that in generations past, there have been people that promoted themselves, loved themselves, and, and we do it today. But what I am suggesting to you is there has never been a culture that is, is as narcissistic as our culture. We are absolutely in love with self in our generation. I may not be saying that of you, I'm looking at our culture. We have come up with social media, and on social media, it is designed to make myself look as good as I can make myself look. Rarely am I as good as the way I make myself look good. We even have a term called a selfie. Now, I'm not against people taking selfies, I'll tell you this, I've learned that my arm is too short, and all I get is this, and I have decided that selfies are not necessary for my life. But what I am saying to you is, we are a generation not only of narcissists who love ourselves, we are the most self-promoting generation I have ever seen. We defend ourselves, we excuse ourselves, we misrepresent ourselves. At times, we demean others for the sake of ourselves. We are all about ourselves. We love ourselves. We've even been told that we have to love ourselves. We spend whole billions of dollars trying to raise self-esteem because we just have to love ourselves. Can I suggest to you that in loving ourselves, we don't leave a lot of room to love others and love the Lord? Our culture is marked by what it says in verse 3, a lack of natural affection. We have the highest divorce rate. By the way, our divorce rate is declining. You know why? People aren't bothering with marriage anymore. We, we are a generation that doesn't see marriage the way it used to be because we don't want to be bothered with the bond or the security or the, uh, of being tied into that thing. We, we have a lack of natural affection in parents towards children. Did you know that today in our country, not, I'm not counting the world, in our country in 2020, 800,000 to a million babies will be aborted? Can I tell you this? I think we've heard that so much that it's almost become common to us, and it, and it just ought to knock the breath out of us. 800,000 to a million babies from California to Washington, D.C., Hawaii, and Alaska will be aborted in 2020 in our country. I, I get upset with that very much. And sometimes our preaching is to women. We say, love your child, and how could you do that? But can I tell you what also makes me sick to my stomach? And our culture has grandized it. It is men who will father children with no intention of taking care of those children. What's wrong with us? We make TV shows and, and build up the man who might father 15 children from 15 wives or 15 women. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us that we can sit dry-eyed and unmoved when we live in a nation where a million children are aborted? 
What's wrong with us when a, when a legislature of one of the largest states of our union stands up and applauds when they vote through an infanticide law? What's wrong with us? But we're of the generation where there's no natural affection because we have fallen in love with ourselves. And we have to present ourselves on our Facebook page in a cool way. And we have to tweet in a cool way. And we have to take a selfie because it's a living our best life, you know. Our culture is marked by truce breakers. Legal contracts are nothing anymore. Our word is worth nothing anymore. We're a generation, perhaps a nation, that runs up debt and walks away from it. I'm not trying to burden anyone who has had to file bankruptcy. I get it. But I'm telling you, our generation is a group of people. I hear a commercial on the radio, and it just drives me wild. And it says, don't let the credit card companies uh, trick you into thinking you, ev you owe everything you owe. And I, I say to myself, what culture can do that? What culture can say, I don't know what I owe. I know I took the money. I know I borrowed the money, but I don't know what I owe. That's our generation. Our culture is marked by the characteristic of being fierce, verse 3 says. My goodness, in the last couple of months, how many policemen have been assassinated on the streets? We get all caught up in this political jargon of, of, of left and right, but it, it ought to just sicken believers and, and it ought to make us say to ourselves, what's wrong with our culture? I'll tell you what's wrong with our culture. We're living in the culture that is ready for the Lord to come back. And every time I hear on the news about another policeman shot, or when I see a comedian hold in effigy a severed head of the president. You know what I hear when I hear that? Here's what I hear. I hear tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Folks, don't fool yourself. There's never been a generation like this. There's never been a culture like this. Well, you don't understand ancient Rome. You don't understand this. You don't understand that. I understand this. There's never been a culture that so wickedly excused themselves as this culture in our world today. Here's the clock number two. Stay with me quickly. Daniel's prophetic clock is ticking. I want you to go very quickly to Daniel chapter 7. And I'm not going to do what you're afraid I'm going to do. I'm not going to expound on Daniel. I want to make one point about Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to notice in verse 7. Daniel 7 and verse 7. <coughs> Pardon me. There the scripture says this. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong, exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth that devoured and brake in pieces, stamped the residue with the feet of it, and was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, 
and a mouth speaking great things. Daniel, in his vision, stay with me, saw a great statue, if you will. And we learn from the scripture that that great statue represented four great world kingdoms. It represented Babylon and Media Persia and Greece and Rome. And then from other scriptures, we learn that that fourth empire is going to be revived and Rome, that Roman Empire, is going to rise again, if you will. And Antichrist, those horns, uh, one of them is Antichrist, and he will rule, if you will, from that great revived Roman Empire, and then we will enter, or we will see the end of the tribulation period. You say, preacher, what is your point? Here's my point. The devil inspires all of those. It is the devil who is the machination behind Antichrist. It is the devil who motivates Antichrist. And get this, get this, stay with me. The devil has a great desire. And the great desire of the devil is to rule this earth. Will you remember that he wanted to rule heaven? Will you remember that he wanted to sit in the sides of the north in the seat of God and he wanted to take the place of God and God cast him out of heaven and he came down to this earth and now he inhabits this earth and make no doubt about it. He doesn't want a Christian kingdom. He doesn't want a kingdom of man. He wants to rule this world and he works in kingdoms like Babylon, kingdoms like Media Persia, kingdoms like Greece, kingdoms like Rome, kingdoms like the revived Roman Empire because he wants one world rule. You ever heard that term, one world government? You ever heard the great push to combine and let's all get along, let's all coexist? Today we have global markets and global trade and global currency and global knowledge and the whole world is tied together in ways that I could stand up here and give you examples that would sensationalize and you might be impressed or not impressed, but my point is this, the devil is behind all of it. It's not new. He's been trying since he got down here when they first built that tower of Babel he has wanted one world rule and he wants to be the ruler and please understand that even the battle we see in our nation today I believe as part of that great spiritual battle, there is a force that wants globalization. There is a force that wants nationalism. Can I say to you tonight that I believe God has spoken on that thing? They came to Babylon. They tried to build that great tower. And it says they wanted to make a name for themselves. What it means is they didn't want God to rule over them. Satan wanted to rule this earth. And God spoke into that situation. And you know what God said? He said, I don't want you united. I want you divided. And he divided the languages. And he divided the, the tribes. And, he, and they went to their lands. And he has boundaries for them. Preacher, are you against unity in one world government? No, I'm not. I just want to wait till Jesus institutes it. 
And the devil hates that thought. And the devil knows that that time is coming. There will be one world government someday. But it won't be under Antichrist. And it won't be out of Rome. And it won't be by man. And it won't be by that serpent. It'll be by Jesus Christ. And he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem. And every time I hear that they've tied the banking system together, and they've done this, and they've done that, and we've got this world trade, and we, we just realize that it all, you know what I hear when I hear that? I hear tick-tock, tick-tock, because the devil wants his kingdom. There's a third clock I'd remind you of. It's the church age clock. Turn with me very quickly to Revelation chapter 2. Now you're really afraid. Is he going to read through all these? No, I'm not, but we're going to go through them quickly, all right? I want you to understand Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. God has John speak about seven churches that are in Asia Minor and letters that be, are being written to those seven churches. Now very quickly, let's understand something that those churches are representative of three things all of our scholars and commentators tell us. Number one, they are seven literal churches of that day. And they literally are getting letters. Number two, they represent church ages. There, there is an understanding as we read these churches that they are representative of the thousands of years that have proceeded from the first century till now, and we can track through and see historical truth about a church in a certain period of time. Third, we can find types of these seven churches in our world today. There are Philadelphian churches. I think this is a Philadelphian church. There are great churches. There are marginal churches. There are really bad churches, Laodicean churches. Now with that understanding, I want to walk through this because I want to make one point. If, you, if we had time, we'd go to chapter 2 and verse 1, and we would see that he writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. That word means simply desirable one. It represents the first hundred years of church history. It's the time of the apostles. It's the time of great missionary journeys by Paul. And God is literally reaching a world through the efforts of that church at Ephesus, if you will. If we went to verse two or chapter 2 and verse 8, we would see the church at Smyrna. Understand that literally, that word Smyrna means myrrh or suffering. It represents generally the time from 100 A.D. to 313 A.D. And during that time, there were ten very distinct periods of persecution of the church. They wanted to stamp it out. It started with Nero in Jerusalem and it, literally a vile and profane man murdered his own brother and mother to, assert, to become the emperor. He, he was incredibly insane and literally put Christians on crosses and lit his evening parties with their dying and burning bodies. He was wicked. 
I don't have time to go through all ten, but it was a horrible time of persecution. It lasted from 100 A.D. to approximately 313 A.D. If we went to chapter 2 and verse 12, we would see there's a letter to the church at Pergamos. That word is interesting. It means marriage. Did you know that at 313 A.D. something very significant happened? Constantine was trying to unite the eastern kingdom and the western kingdom of Rome. And he was struggling with other generals and warring with them. And he wasn't coming out ahead. And, and he said that God gave him a sign. And he looked up into the heavens and he saw a blazing cross in the heavens. And he said he heard a voice out of that cross that said, By this sign conquer. And Constantine did something that is just unbelievable. He, he began to, and through the next couple of hundred years, he combined Christianity with the paganism of Rome. And Christianity became corrupted. And Rome became the capital, if you will, of that corrupted Christianity. In verse 18 of chapter 2, we read of a letter to the church at Thyatira. And that time frame is about 500 A.D. to about 1500 A.D. It means literally continual sacrifice. You know what that time period was? It was the, what we refer to as the Dark Ages. Do you know why it was dark? Not because of, of witches and not because of failing light. It was dark because the church took the word of God out of the hands of the common man. And they said, you can't understand the word. You've got to come to the, to the, the priest. You've got to come to the church and we will interpret the word to you. We will tell you what the word means. We will tell you what you have to do. And that horrible, continual sacrifice of the mass that said if you don't come and partake of the mass, you don't have the sacrament, you can't be saved. And the world for over a thousand years was subjected to a horrible works salvation. It was the dark ages. And then around 1500 A.D., something marvelous happened. You ready? The printing press was invented. And they took that printing press and men who had courage began to print the word of God and give it back to the common people. If you went to chapter 3 and verse 1, you would see a letter to the church at Sardis. That word Sardis means literally the red ones because they were martyred for giving the word men like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli who were willing to hazard their lives. Luther took... Luther... Luther took that 98 thesis, went down and pounded it into the door of that great cathedral. And he said, herein I stand. And he said, the just shall live by faith. And that may not seem revolutionary to us, but it was unbelievably revolutionary in that day. Then along 1700, if you went to chapter 3 and verse 7, you see the church at Philadelphia. And out of that Reformation period came a great awakening. The word of God came across the seas to America. Missionaries went out from this country. And literally there was revival. There were men like Jonathan Edwards, my dad. Just getting you back with me, all right? Spurgeon, Moody, Whitfield. 
after moved in Spurgeon after them. It was a time of great missionary zeal. And that brings us to the seventh letter, chapter 3 and verse 14. The church at Laodicea, the rights of the people. And my friend, that is the time in which we live today. We don't need anything. We have all we need. We don't need you, God. We've got buildings and programs. We, we've got it all figured out. And the truth is, we are destitute, poor, and we have never been more needy of revival in churches. Oh, but I want to show you what comes next. You know the next church age? The next letter, oh, wait. There is no next letter. You say, what comes after our age, preacher? What comes after Laodicea, preacher? There is nothing that comes after our age. Chapter 3 ends, the letter ends, and there is no new church age. There is no new letter. Let me take you to chapter 4 and read a couple of verses. I'll tell you what I think happens. Look at chapter one, or chapter 4 and verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. That sounds a lot like the rapture to me, doesn't it, you? The voice, the trumpet, and he's caught up. You say, preacher, what's next for churches? The rapture. Tick-tock. Tick-tock. Let me tell you about a fourth clock quickly. The clock of Israel. For the sake of time, don't hear, turn here. Let me just read it to you. Matthew 24 says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that the summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Listen to me and I'll be done. Bible scholars tell us and I believe that the fig tree is a picture of Israel. And when they were taken into captivity, Babylon came and took them into captivity. They have never existed honestly as a nation since that time. And even though they reconstituted Jerusalem under Nehemiah, Ezra, and, and our temple was rebuilt. It, it was never truly Israel. It, does, it did not exist as a nation. Until 1948. I want to do something, just a moment. I, I hope you won't be shy. How many in this room, by an uplifted hand, would admit they are 72 or older. I'm 70. Now, I, I want everybody, hold your hands up if you can. I know I get tired. But, but if you can hold your hands up, I want you to hold your hand up. And I want everybody to look around. I want you to look at the hands of people that are over 72 years old. You say, preacher, why? That's not Medicare age. <laughs> Did you know that those people, now listen to me. Those people lived in a world where Israel did not exist. There was no nation of Israel. 
People sitting in this room, you see, sometimes we lose, we lose sight of the flow of history and we think that Israel always has been and we think that these things are so divorced from the Bible that, you know, this isn't a real thing and yet there are people sitting in this room who lived when there was no nation of Israel but in 1948, now they were just babies, but in 1948 Israel came into being again and the Bible says, and I'm going to explain this in a moment, the Bible says that the generation that saw that happen, that all the things that he has predicted about Israel will be fulfilled before those people pass off the scene. Now let me be careful. In 1967, even though they came into being as a nation in 1948, they didn't possess Jerusalem again until 1967, and they had to fight a war to get Jerusalem. I've had people say to me, well, preacher, here's the truth. They, they did reconstitute as Israel in 1948, but it wasn't biblical boundaries, and they didn't have Jerusalem, and it's Jerusalem and Mount Moriah that is really the heart of God. So maybe it's 1967. There could be some other point that God sees that we don't see. Recently, we've seen the embassy. We, they moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and we recognize that as the capital of Jerusalem. That's very significant. There's also questions about what comprises a generation. Is it 40 years? Is it 70 years? I just want you to say, I want to say this, that regardless of all the little iffy questions, here's the point. TikTok. Bless God, TikTok, brother. People in this room who saw Israel become a nation. The guy standing in front of you remembers the, the war of 1967 when they got Jerusalem. I was absolutely flabbergasted when President Trump had the courage to move our embassy to Jerusalem and say that's the capital of Israel. That's our life. We saw that. No other generation saw that, people. How about this one? Oh, wait a minute. There's been a peace treaty with Bahrain and UAE, and Sudan. Well, that's nothing, preacher. Those aren't big. Oh, those are Arab nations that surround Israel. You say, preacher, what are you saying? When I read about that treaty, you know what I heard? Tick-tock. Tick-tock. Oh, preacher, that's, there's been treaties before, not like that. No, not like that. Can I mention a couple of other things? Did you know that if you attend or visit Jerusalem today, did you know that all of the equipment that is necessary for a rebuilt third temple is there and prepared? Did you know that they literally have the DNA of the high priest and they know who and where he is? Did you know that a red heifer was born in late 2018 and certified by the rabbi of the synagogue to be spotless and without blemish? 
You say, well, preacher, there's red heifers all over the world. Not have been certified by the rabbi at the synagogue in Jerusalem. You say, well, what's the importance about that? It takes the blood of a red heifer to sanctify the priest and sanctify those instruments for use in a temple. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Would you sum it up? Yeah, tick tock, tick tock. Jesus is coming again. And all I have to do is look at my culture. Sometimes I rail on how wicked this culture is, meaning the whole world. And sometimes I just have to stand back and say, God said that. He said it would be like this. Tick tock. I look at the pursuit of globalism and I see it literally devolving to to a political struggle in our nation. And I say, whoa. God said it would be like that. God said it would be a struggle about one world, about a worldwide kingdom. And God said there wasn't going to be one till Jesus came back. Tick tock. I, I, I look at that church age clock and I think to myself, who, who could write that? Who who could, who could write those things that were so accurate of epochs during our world and even our lifetime? Who could do that? Oh, I know. God could do that because he knows. Tick-tock. Tick-tock. Who could, who could believe that in the lifetime of us sitting in this room, Israel would become a nation? They would once again possess their boundaries and their capital in Jerusalem. And the United States, someone who is blessing Israel, praise God for our our wisdom in doing that, moves the embassy there and there are treaties with Arab nations. I think I read somewhere when there's peace all around. Oh, when it looks like there's peace all around. Be careful. Be ready. All right, preacher, what's your point? Will you please sum this up? No more history lessons. There'll be tests tomorrow morning on the lessons today. What good does it do us to know it if it doesn't motivate us? People in this room tonight that really are not sure they're saved. They, they think they might be. They hope they are. But they're not positive they know Christ as their Savior. And can I say something to you? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. Tick tock. Hey, there are people in this room tonight who have said, My spouse is not saved. What are you waiting for? I'm not sure my children are saved. What are you waiting for? My grandma, my grandpa, hey, the people I work with, my neighbor, what are you waiting for? 
People in this room who are struggling with some things that they know they need to put out of their life and they know they need to come back to the Lord and they're going to do it maybe. So what are you waiting for? Tick tock. Tick tock. We are children of the day and children of the light. And we do not live like the world who is bound up in darkness. We look up. We're aware. And we use that motivation not to frighten ourselves, but to examine ourselves and to say, Lord, I know you're coming. I want to be ready. Are you ready? Are people you love ready? Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.